So uh, on to the last movie uh, we're discussing, The Changeling from 1980, uh, directed by Peter Medak, um, written by William Gray and Diana Maddox, uh, who did the screenplay, and then Russell Hunter, who the story is by, and we'll get into Russell Hunter. Um, he actually experienced the, the story of The Changeling, but we'll get into that a little bit. Um, the composer was Rick Wilkins. Um, it was made for a budget of $6.6 million, and it made $12 million. Oh, okay. So double the budget. <clears throat> okay. So it doubled the budget. Now, the interesting thing is Mick Garris, who's like a big-time horror director and like, you know, known for a lot of really good Stephen King collaborations, uh, he cites it, he's kind of a gatekeeper for this movie in a sense, and I, and I hate that term, but it, it does have some merit. You know, gatekeepers are those people who, who are like the cool kids, like the hipsters who saw it first, in other oh, words. Oh, God. Um, he recalls seeing this movie in a completely empty theater when it first came out and like being like, he said that the fact that the movie theater was empty, like added to his enjoyment because like, you know, like he, it, you know, like he had no distractions from it, you know, and he was one of the first people to recognize, you know, like, or whenever he, he had that, he got other people into the movie. So that's how he described it. Cause you know, it wasn't the way it was released. It wasn't like, you know, it didn't really set the world on fire. And he was one of those people that was like, you know, shit, you've got to watch this movie. It's really good. Okay. Well, he wasn't so um, much a gatekeeper cause at least he told people about it. A gatekeeper. I would have yeah. felt like would have been like this movie. He's great. I hope nobody watches it, so I'm the one who knows about it, you know? Well, well, he did have a little bit of that element of, like, well, I was there, and I recognize its brilliance, and, you know. I saw it before it was cool. Yeah. He was like a hipster. (laughs) And he brought up the fact that, you know, he's happy now. I mean, and that's kind of anti-gatekeeper. He's happy now that more people are catching on to it, but he said that, you know, he was one of the people who recognized it was good before, you know, the the recent resurgence, because it actually has gained most of its, like, you know, like, popularity in, like, the last, I want to say, 10 years, if, if not five. Yeah. Just because more people are saying, like, have you seen this movie? Like, I didn't even know this thing existed. Oh, yeah. I saw it when it first came out. <laughs> Nobody was even in the theater. <laughs> oh, blow me. Uh, pr- Principal players, we have George C. Scott playing John Russell, who's the protagonist and the grieving widower slash father. Uh, He's a composer and a skeptic. Um, George C. Scott is one of the, I mean, was an amazing actor. Uh, He was a very, he was one of those actors that you knew if you saw him in a movie, he was very passionate in the movie. Uh, He played Patton of all things. So Uh anybody who plays general Patton is going to have to be somebody who's like, you know, got a force of will to him, you know, to kind of portray that character. Right. Yeah. Uh, He was in Dr. Strangelove. Um, He was in like, we already discussed. He's in one of my favorite versions after seeing it recently of a Christmas Carol. It's like kind of a made for TV British film that has George C. Scott playing Ebenezer Scrooge, which is a really good fit for him. Um, And he's also in the exorcist three, which a lot of people are coming back now and saying that that's probably, if not the best sequel, uh, it's definitely, I mean, some people say it's better than the original exorcist, which could be heresy, but they they cite the exorcist three as being like a legit sequel to the exorcist. Wow. suck, But three, because of the plot, because it has George C. Scott and he's more of like a, a police officer slash detective trying to figure out, what is going on in the movie and like, you know, he, and, you know, kind of playing that, you know, bigger than life forceful character that he, you know, cause he's a, if you look at the man, he looks imposing. I mean, like yeah. he was, he was tall and I mean, gruff in his face, you know, like it, it, you know, it fit. Um, <clears throat> we have, um, 
Trish Van Devere playing Claire Norman, a real estate agent, companion, foil to the protagonist, and potentially criminal at her job. I mean, <laughs> Uh, because she allowed him to rent a house that he shouldn't have been able to rent, according to a lady later in the movie. Uh, yeah, but why wasn't he able to rent the house, though? We'll have to get into that because, like, she just says it, but, I mean. Because it, it, it was a historical house, and I was surprised that they would allow that because, I mean, normally the historical societies don't allow you to do shit with a house if they deem it that way. They, they keep it as, like, more of a museum piece in a lot of areas. They don't let you actually rent or modify or do anything to it and like he just rented it moved right on in and like you know start fixing it up well yeah but she had mentioned that and she was like we were gonna do this 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 and this but i just decided that this is a house that needed to be lived in so they kind of imply that she didn't have the call to say that she just you know she kind of went on her own is like this is a hell of a house and i'm getting a good commission off of it so rent this well boo frickety Um, who hoa of america okay (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> go back karen yeah back it um, up uh she is the real life spouse to george c scott oh look at that um, she's a babe too at uh, least in the movie she was yeah she, and, and good on him because i mean she you could tell she's quite a bit younger oh yeah set it's sad in a way she starred i mean it's in the trivia she started in like at least seven movies with him so they really cared for each other i mean Aww. i mean the fact that they worked that i mean we talked about rob and you know sherry on the the news i mean like this was before that time i mean these this couple was you know acting together uh once they got married they they were inseparable basically yeah um and of course, he passed away in like the later '80s, so she became a widow, widower of her own, like a, in real life at a young age. So it's kind of sad for her. Yeah, and um, she's um twenty-ish years his junior. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, good on the two of them. I mean, you know, uh, what, it, what love finds a way, almost like a you know perverse version of Ian Malcolm's "Life Finds a Way." Um, <laughs> So she was in Where's Papa? Uh, she was in Day of the Dolphin with George C. Scott. She was in The Last Run with George C. Scott. And the, and she actually did another horror movie the same year that The Changeling came out called The Hearse. Oh, yeah. Uh, we have Ruth Springford playing Minnie Huxley. Uh, she is the uptight doomsayer, busybody, and Karen that we were talking yes. about. This, said, that house should have never been rented. What the fuck is wrong with you? The head of the <laughs> HOA. Yeah. Uh, she was just known for playing in TV shows, and she mostly played a, a, a bitty in, oh, in movies. Ooh. I mean, you know, like she she played like the older, you know, like you're not gonna do that type character, you know, like in a lot of stuff. Uh, so I good guess job at making people hate you. you you're a great <laughs> actress. You did it. Yeah, she's she's like that uh, actor who uh, we was talking about in Ghostbusters who who played the EPA agent. I mean, that poor guy. I mean, he was real good at making people hate him, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we have Helen Burns playing Leah Harmon, who is a spiritualist, automatic writer, and helps channel the voice of the spirit uh, in the film. Uh, she was in a movie called If You Can See What I Hear, uh, Zorro, and then Zorro the Gay Blade. That's <laughs> a hilarious name, given the context. We have Melvin Douglas, who played Senator Carmichael, uh, the very old man in the movie. Yes. Uh, he's a, who was a former orphan, unwitting benefactor to a murderer, the only victim of the spirit in the film that I'm aware of, and the and he's he actually is the changeling in the title. Yes. what that means, but he is. 
Um, and he was in uh, Being There is one of his bigger movies. But the funny thing is, is he made, like right after this, he made another movie called Ghost Story. I think he filmed it the same year that this came out, which is a, a classic 80s movie about a bunch of older gentlemen telling a ghost story, a series of ghost stories that they all become a part of. I oh, think. wow. Um, and then we have Voldy Way playing Joseph Carmichael, who is the murdered child, violent ghost. Uh, he played, which is funny because he played in a movie named Boo in 2005. Many years, many years later, he played Joseph Carmichael. So wow. I don't, so we've got two characters playing Santi. We've got two characters playing Joseph Carmichael. That's kind of an interesting correlation. <laughs> uh, so a changeling. The definition of it is it's historically referred to as an, an oaf or an elf. Uh, it is a human-like creature found in folklore throughout Europe. It was believed to be a fairy that had been left in place of a human that was stolen by the fey folk. So basically the fairies would steal your kid, leave a demonic, uh, well, they were usually evil, but they would leave a version of your kid that looked exactly like them, but they were they had no soul, and you were left to raise them, and, <laughs> they, and they generally caused you a lot of mischief, uh, you know, and grief in your life whenever they did that. I think it was an excuse for like Irish and you know like Celtic people to say this fucking kid has to be from the fucking fairies because he's fucking douchebag. But you know, hey, you know, people can say what they want, and make up whatever they want about that stuff. <laughs> We just call them assholes now. It's like my kid's a pure asshole, and I'm not going to say the fairies drop. It's like I made them. I just, you know, they, the fairies can take them if they want them. In Mexican lore, it's not so much like a spirit that comes in and, well, your child doesn't get replaced, but, and I've mentioned this before on this podcast, if you don't leave a nightlight on, the bad spirits floating around can reach down and get into your child and you have a bad kid. So when okay. they're babies, until you can get them baptized, so this is more of a Catholic, you know, lore, if you will, a Mexican Catholic lore, because I don't want to put this on all <laughs> Catholics out there. But, yes, until your baby can get baptized, then, yes, if you don't have a light on in the room, which how do they do it back in the day when there's no electricity? You lit, you lit a candle all night. But, yes, the, the spirits could get your child, and you would have a bad kid. So instead of the kid just being outright replaced, mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, they were – uh, they're still your kid. They just had bad. Now they're possessed by something, basically. Well, the shell of your kid is there. It's that their spirit has been replaced with a bad spirit. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. I don't know yeah, what happens to the good spirit. It was a wholesale replacement in Celtic lore. So that's yes. kind of, and I think you know, but that's 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 where the title, the change, the changeling comes from, and we'll get into it as far as the story why that applies, but. Um, so synopsis of this movie, after losing his wife and daughter, a grieving music composer moves to Seattle to focus on his career. After moving into a rundown mansion, he starts experiencing unexplainable phenomenon, uh, skeptical, but wanting to believe the spirit is that of his recently deceased oh, daughter. Yeah. Uh, Russell begins investigating the haunting, uh, breaking glass, automatic riding, bouncing rubber balls <laughs> and creepy wheelchairs abound. Uh, by the time the credits roll, a murder is uncovered and the sins of the father are visited upon the son. Um, in a lit quite literal sense. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so this was actually based on a real-life story before we oh, get into the discussion of the movie. Originally happened in Denver, Colorado instead of Seattle. Um, it was based upon the life of Russell Hunter, who, as I said, actually wrote the initial story that they you know based the screenplay off of. 
he was a real life composer. He moved to Boulder to help his parents run their lodge, which is the Three Birches Lodge. I thought that said three and, bitches. Um, <laughs> you can't read. No. I need my hold on. Let me put my my C and I glasses on. <laughs> put, your, put your good eyes on. Oh my god. Um, so he worked at the Three Bitches, as we've established, okay. no, the Three Birches, uh, and moved on whenever it seemed to be back on its feet so he could pursue his music career again. Uh, he ended up uh, renting the Henry Treat Rogers Mansion in Denver because Ooh. the price was too good to pass up. Oh, isn't so, it always? But there's a reason why it was too good to pass up. That's because no one would rent the place for long enough, and they kept leaving. So, you know, and they and I don't know if that was ever mentioned to him, but he was just like, all right, well, it's dirt cheap. I'll rent it, you know. <clears throat> so it was, uh, it's it's right next to Cheeseman Park in, in Denver, which uh, actually had, um, uh, a, was, oh, this is no. funny, this actually... Cheeseman Park was actually what uh, what I consider to have been the basis for Poltergeist. Yeah. And, and we'll get into that. Steven Spielberg actually saw the changeling right before he made Poltergeist. Oh. So this might have had an influence on him. But Cheeseman Park is the real-life version of Poltergeist in the sense that there was a cemetery there, and they moved the graves, but they didn't move the bodies. You didn't at least move the bodies? <laughs> And so it's considered super haunted. And not only is it haunted, but every fucking house that's on the same, that connects to it by the street is haunted, including the Henry Tree Rogers mansion. Uh, um. Look at, here's the thing. This is why my body won't be in a grave and why I won't have, I won't even have a headstone. First of all, I'm not going to waste precious space with my dead body, but be, okay, what's wrong with these ghosts? Don't you just want people to leave you? Maybe that's a problem. It's a it's a park now. People are treading all over their yeah, graves, and they're like, just like, leave me just alone. In their spot now. They're just having a picnic, you know. But did you know that back in the day, that cemeteries were places where people would go and have picnics, and they would stroll through, and it was considered uh, respectful because it was like these dead people don't have people that visit them. So these were people that well, were the Mexican people still do that on Day of the Dead, don't they? I mean, well, we don't go to the graves per se. We do build, you know, um, little. I forget. I always forget what the name is called, but we build like little shrines, and we'll put pictures up and candles and food and candy candy specifically you know and stuff like that to celebrate their life um and when back in the day and i want to say this was more european than anything but they would go to graves uh, grave sites if they were like parks they were really nice places to be and it was like a representation of hey this is life we're bringing life to a place where it's considered death and it wasn't scary and it wasn't a weird thing but you also got to remember a lot of European uh, cemeteries, if they could, were built at crossroads so that the spirits couldn't leave and follow you back once you were done visiting Tis them. True. So they, they did true. have like their own like ways of defending against that. Hey, they and there are made of iron gates and there are archways <laughs> when you're going in. Yes, that's true. There you go. The, the trapping, the spirits. And they didn't fucking, I mean, and of course, you know, a park doesn't have any of that stuff, but they also didn't fucking build their houses right beside of the cemeteries, you know, back in the, in the days. I mean, now we kind of have to because we're running out of space, but you know, all I'm saying is if I'm a spirit and I'm, or I'm, I'm a body in the ground and my spirit's kind of around the area, I'm really not going to get mad if you move my headstone. (laughs) And and no one's probably visiting me anyway. So, you know, (laughs) 
Well, I mean, if they're old enough, that probably is the case. Yeah. Um, now, the movie does change some facets of the story, but it's, it is relatively the same as what happened to Russell. He experienced very similar things to what George C. Scott experiences in the film. He heard the banging sounds throughout his home, uh, the water running, the, the walls seeming the wall seemed to expand uh, noiselessly or noisily for no reason, like they were almost breathing is the way he described it. Wow. Um, <clears throat> he hired an architect to check the pipes like George C. Scott does in the movie. Yeah. And uh, they, but uh, the difference is in the movie, George C. Scott, and I like this better because I feel like it's creepier. George C. Scott in the movie discovers the attic that's been sealed off by himself, whereas in real life, Russell, uh, you know, actually found uh, him and the architect found that room in a closet, but it happened the same way. They were investigating. They're like, this is an actual door behind this closet, and they found their way up into that creepy attic. And up inside of the attic, they found a hundred-year-old journal that belonged to a young child. Um, and Frank Russell. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that was a little. Well, that was after her time, but she wasn't in the, it was the wrong country. So you use close though. Uh, Russell hired a, a medium to help him communicate and lead him to another Denver location. So just kind of like they hired a medium in this film, mm-hmm. uh, and that was previously held by the, that was previously a field. Uh, so, but what, when he got there, it was no longer, I mean, uh, the place they were told to go by the spirit, uh, quote unquote, if you believe it or not, uh, was no longer just a field. There was actually a house there. Oh, so shit. Just I don't like know how him. they did this, yeah. but they convinced the homeowners to let them dig beneath the floorboards of the house. And lo and behold, there was the remains of a child there, you know, this led to the conclusion that the wealthy couple that had previously lived in the home had covered up the death of their child. And the reason they would have done this, uh, uh, you know, and the theory was they went to a local orphanage and got another child about the same age and appearance and uh, the, so that they wouldn't lose their inheritance that was promised to the grandchild because the, the way that it was is that the person who was going to be, you know, give, giving him the money uh, hated the son-in-law you know, it was the, it was their daughter that married this guy, and they had the kid, so they were going to give their money to the kid instead and bypass him. They, yeah. they, there was kind of their like you know hatred of him was that bad. So whenever the couple realized that their because their kid was uh, their kid had a lot of health issues and he yeah. passed on his own is the story. So when they realized that they were going to lose this massive inheritance, these assholes literally went to an orphanage got a kid that was similar in, in, you know, appearance and age. They took the kid over to another country, put him in a boarding school for a while. So that when he came back aged up, even if he looked different, nobody could tell because I mean, you know, Hey, it's been a while since we've seen him. So, you know, there he is. And this kid went his entire life without knowing that he wasn't the original child that was, you know, that their kid. I wonder how <laughs> old he was when they did this. Like, cause in this, in this movie, he was eight years old. You know, but like all he know, all an eight year old knows is I'm finally getting adopted by a wealthy family, nonetheless. Um, and my new name is Joseph, and I'm going to this fancy boarding school. And when I come back, I am the child of this person. Which, you know, you, you never question adopted or anything like that. I mean, nobody ever really brings that up. You know, I'm the adopted child. Although I think he was. I think it was even worse because he was slightly younger. I think he was five or six, so you really don't question if you're that young. Oh, 100% I mean, you won't, yeah. 
Uh, so Russell reportedly came back to the home after finding the body and the spirit became violent at that point, as opposed to him thinking that it was going to thank him and like maybe dissipate. It started it shattered glass from a nearby door, causing him to have an arterial cut, Wow! which caused him a lot of bleeding. Damn. And as he was in the bed trying to uh, stem the blood flow, the roof collapsed over his bed, nearly killing him. God damn. So he left that house and only returned to see the place demolished and be replaced by a high rise. Um, now, unfortunately, the one of the developers of that high rise that helped demolish the mansion, uh, she developed breast cancer and died in her forties. So, curse, yeah, possibly. Uh, and then. So the guy who was telling the story about this, because there was a guy that wrote a book and he was, it was on the, and he kind of a weird guy, I got to admit, but like he was, you know, kind of those uh, paranormal historians or whatever for the area he was talking about. And he said, now it's in raises an interesting question. What happens to the ghost once the, the, the dwelling that they, you know, were, you know, ha- and ha- trapped in, like we've discussed is no longer there. Are they freed? Well, the funny thing is, is that children in Cheeseman park, have reported seeing the child, uh, seeing a child in old, outdated clothing playing with a striped rubber ball hmm. that matches the one that was found inside of the William Tree Mansion. Wow. That's a so, really cool. I mean, well, like- basically, that was the changing. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, this is the film. Uh, ratings, <laughs> Reverend? <laughs> uh, <laughs> my rating after discussing the film just now? Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm joking. I, I mean, I just, I mean, that's such a fucking good story. Why not make a movie out of it? It I is. Mean, like, and they did. They clearly did. And they did a, and, and, I'm, spoiler alert for my review, they did a damn good job <laughs> of it too. I Sorry. mean, I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, but I mean, like, cause I mean, it doesn't like go super out there, but the scenes, with I mean, because because you got George C. Scott by himself in a lot of the movie. Yeah, the scenes by himself were like the balls bouncing down the steps, or they're they're pretty. I mean, they they work on you if you're in the right you know frame oh, of mind yeah. whenever you're watching it. Um, um you know, uh, I it's different sensibilities. I know. I mean, now we're used to like seeing like grinning rictus faces from the the ring. But no, yeah. Speaking of which. This is my favorite Ring movie, and we'll get into why, but uh, I think the Ring author oh, yeah. stole this movie, and we'll get yes. into I, I really think he did. I, I knew <laughs> when I saw it, and you told me, you're like, when you see it, I mean, I mean, I knew, but I wasn't going to discuss it at the time, but yeah. Um, okay, so what was definitely so great about this movie is that I was still able to watch it and stay intrigued with no real visual of any kind of spirit whatsoever. I mean, you knew stuff was happening, you know, and it was inferred that the spirit was there based by certain things that were happening. So it was basically only sound and, you know, uh, music. There's, there's one uh, one thing that happens, and it's it's kind of creepy. He goes upstairs to that lone bathroom uh-huh. where the bathtub is at and the water's running and you can see the face of the child beneath the waves of the water. I must have completely missed that. I mean, I did see yeah. that in two other scenes. Obviously, the one where it shows the child, how he, how they, how he was done in. And then, of course, yeah. the girl that kept seeing him um, in her room. 
Yes. So but there is the scene where you can see the child's face beneath the water, which is another tie to the devil's backbone. We got these two kids in water. Yeah. You know, that's, that's how they died, you know. Yeah. Um, so, um, and I was just, I was more impressed at, at how I stayed interested. The scenery and the actors, the actors really sold this film. They are the ones that made everything seem so real. I think every actor in this film did a good job eh, minus the cop that just kind of showed up for whatever reason he showed oh, up yeah, but he died shortly there yeah after, like, flipped upside down, he know? was the only one that was like i mean yeah he was there he served a purpose but that was so pretty i much take about that it. back he he's not the 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 he he that was the one other character that maybe died from the spirit was the cop i forgot about him until you mentioned that yeah oh yeah 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 um so i mean because obviously they needed him to convince joseph the the, the changeling joseph to show up, you know? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know when we're talking about, I mean, I don't know if you want to get into cinematography and if you want to get into music. Um, well, here's what I'm going to go through them real quick. So, because this movie is all about the story and this movie is all about the acting. Just like you said, I a hundred percent agree. I, that's the main thing I was going to focus on was the acting whenever I got to this movie. Um, so cinematography, I didn't realize this, but there was a lot of wide angle lens and a lot of low angle, mm-hmm. uh, use in this movie and what it conveys without you realizing it till you think about it is you're seeing George C. Scott from the perspective of the ghost. Yes. Every that makes sense. Fucking time that you see him because it's way behind him and it's on the floor almost yeah. and looking up at him. Um, and it's kind of creepy because it's always looking over his shoulder, so it adds that element. It's like you're you're not with George C. Scott. You're the you're the ghost spying in on him. Okay, you know? that makes sense. That's that's a good little creep factor. Uh, the music is actually pretty good in this movie. Now mm-hmm. it doesn't stand out dramatically. I mean, like it's not you know uh, Danny Elfman or anything, but. If you notice it, because the the composer mentioned it, and I and, and it's there whenever you listen for it, the the theme in this music, this movie is grief. It's because George C. Scott is grieving the loss of his wife and his daughter. Yeah. So like all the music is sad in tone. Like there is not like it's there's no happy go lucky music in this movie. Oh no. It's really like you know it's that orchestral music or you know like the piano music, and it's really like you know like lonely and haunting more than anything. You know. Um. Now we've already discussed the story basically because that it's based on that you know story from Russell. I I, I love the I mean the twist on the uh, I mean you know what happened to the ghost like the kid you know and like I I like the change that he did with they put the kid in the well I mean because yeah. we bring that up that's the reason I think that the director of the or the writer of the ring stole from this movie. The fact that the kid's actual body was inside of a well beneath a house that nobody knew was, you know, even there was a well there. Yeah. I mean, like. Which doesn't. I still don't understand why he's trapped in the mansion, though. Uh, Because the mansion is where he was officially killed. Yeah. His body was dumped somewhere else by the family so that they wouldn't get in trouble. And they they owned the, the, the. in the movie, they own that piece of land where that house was at and the well was at. Yeah. And they and they were the ones, the, the dad, because that's another link to the ring, the dad was the one who took the kid after he, you know, basically drowned him in the bathtub, uh, took him and, like, dumped his body down this well on a piece of property that was way off far from where they actually had the house at, and, and then they sealed the well up and then left it there. So yeah. very much like the ring. I mean, I'm sorry, but, like, 
there has to be some link there. The guy who made the ring, like novel, had to have like worked, you know, looked at this at some point. Like, there's too much time. There's way, the two of yeah. Them. There's uh, there. It's way too many direct ties into it. Uh, the way that the you know like I mean there's there's not necessarily like you know the the I mean there's not the TV element obviously or anything like yeah. that but I mean there's a lot of like the basic stuff and I'll be honest with you the thing that I love about this movie is that the ghost and and the director even confirmed this on the commentary the director believes in the paranormal the director uh, Peter Medak believes that he has been haunted not in a bad way but like his his older brother died whenever his older brother was like 16 or something Aww. and he feels like his older brother's always been there with him yeah. because he's seen him on occasion so whenever he went to this movie he was really interested in it from the you know real life paranormal aspect but the other thing that he liked about it was that the automatic writing Oh, yeah. The way that they did the, the EVP, even yes. though it was analog, you know, that's all like realistic ghost hunting stuff. It like really is. Banging on, the, banging on the walls and everything. There's no, that's the kind of stuff you would actually see on ghost adventures. It's not like, you know, you're not going to see Santi, you know, like what, but you will hear somebody banging on the, like, you know, like the walls or something. And, and that's more realistic is what people experience in a haunting. And that's what he was drawn to and wanted to emphasize. I really loved how they um, did the actress who was just scribbling on the page until words started coming. I thought that was, yes. like, I thought that was amazing. That is the first time in, in a film that they showed what automatic writing was like, it was a concept, but this yeah. is the first time it's ever been shown. I never knew I about that it. That was cool. <laughs> um, that's it. The, but you know, so that's the story elements of it, and I and I love the the who done it aspect, like him trying to solve the murders. And I'll tell you something else that, that ties it to the ring. In the ring, they're trying to figure out, you know, a Samara, like her parents, like what happened to her and all that stuff. So they go and they investigate, you know, because that was a big contention between me and Noah. You know, he said, well, they had to show the investigation because they wasn't psychic like in the original. Yeah, and I agreed with him that they 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 did, but they didn't have to go, you know, keep showing scene after scene after scene. This movie does it so much better. It's literally it's so simple. George C. Scott goes to the local library. He does like the, you know, the, the I forget the name of the, the little film that they use, the microfiche, I think's the name of it. And he and him and well, it's actually his wife in the movie, you know, in real life, but the the real estate agent because she's got better eyes than him, which is actually very realistic yeah. because he's an older man. But like, she's like, wait a minute, right there, and like they they slowly through microfiche and one location figure out what happened to this kid. And I love that element of this movie because it. It's, it still gives you the investigation, but it narrows it down to where it's not then you don't feel like they're just like they're spending like half of the runtime going from place to place. Like what happened here? What happened here? You know, like they, they narrowed it down. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I, I the investigation was was definitely needed. I felt like it went on for a long time. This movie felt longer to me than it needed to be. But at the same time, I'm like everything I'm very torn because everything in it was it felt necessary. It was useful. Uh, there wasn't anything trashy that I would be like, oh, well, we didn't need that. You know, I, just, I don't know. For some reason, it just felt so long to me. That, and see, that's what I felt with, I mean, I, I can't hold that against you because that's what I felt uh, in the ring, like the American yeah. version. Like, it just kept lingering on. I'm like, okay. Can y'all so just die know, already? <laughs> yeah, it's like, so we know that they've got to get to this point. They they got to get to the well. So how, you know, like, 
how much more like filler are we going to get before they get there? You know? Um, so I can, I can get it. And literally this movie is the same thing. When are they going to get to the well? When are they going to, you know, figure it out? Um, but it's the acting of this movie that sells it. I mean, speaking oh, 100%. Of the story, like, that scene where George C. Scott is sitting there listening to the playback of the EVP and just, I mean, it focused in and the director did a wise choice. He focused in on George C. Scott's face and just seeing his face go from like, you know, just curious to like, you know, almost like in tears, but without yeah. actually crying, like in the one scene. I mean, that's great acting. Like Oh, the realization I mean, on his him. face. Yeah. And I mean and and the thing is about George C. Scott that they bring out in the in the commentary is that George C. Scott was not really known to be like this, uh, you know, like his characters were always like the kind of the tough guys, you know, like even Ebenezer Scrooge and that one that he did later, The Christmas Carol, he's, you know, the gruff, like, you know, but like this movie, he's an artist and he actually does a very good job of portraying that. I mean, he's not like, I mean, you know, he's, you know, very like whenever he's teaching the students and you know he's going all about that it's like you're seeing a different aspect of him as a person than what he normally portrayed in movies so i like that aspect i mean it was really showing that he could act that part of like more of a thinker type person more than a man of action you know if he had to yeah um but speaking of that i mean it was more believable for me to believe that somebody who looked like george c scott would stay there and deal with the shit that he did in that house without running away because if it'd been anybody else like i I was thinking if they did a remake and they're talking about it by the way they're talking about doing a remake of this movie um if they do a remake and they cast somebody like say zach efron like you know (laughs) you know pretty boy or something like that that I don't believe that motherfucker's going to stay there and, and, you know, get shit done whenever, you know, he starts seeing like a ghost, uh, you know, that rubber ball bouncing down the steps or, you know, like nearly getting, you know, knocked off of a railing by, you know, like this old antique uh, wheelchair. But I can believe George C. Scott would stay there because he's like, fuck it. I, you're not going to run me out of this place. Just like we were talking about earlier. He's like, I'm going to stay here until I figure this out. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> I don't, I, I know that the people have to stay at these places and this is how the movies are made, but I'm like all the time. I'm like, why, why are you still well, and there? Part, and, and part of it too, is the reason he stays through the biggest bulk of it until the EVP and it reveals that its name is Joseph. Yeah. is because he's always thinking that it's his daughter because yes. the bouncing ball ties back, you know, very smartly at the beginning of the movie, whenever the maid who's cleaning up his apartment in New York drops the, the ball out of there and he has that horrific scene where he's remembering his daughter playing with it. Yeah. And, you know, and then like she's, and then, so when he sees the ball come down the steps, he thinks that's his daughter. So he, he's hoping that that's like a, he keeps staying in the house for the longest time before the, the ghost reveals its actual name because he thinks that his daughter's trying to communicate with him, which is, you know, that, that makes more sense. Yeah. Um, and I, and his, his wife did a great job in the movie too. There's, there's something we'll get into the trivia about that, but I mean, she's, uh, she's, she's better than Sherry Moon. Yes. I mean, they, together they were very natural, which makes sense that they're married. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause they, they already knew how to work with each other outside of, you know, all that to begin with. Yeah. And I was thinking uh, too, I was like, I wonder, I was thinking that at some point of the movie, they were going to become love interest cause they were together all the time and they were doing this investigation and that did not happen. But I mean, it didn't need to happen, but now I'm like, oh, they're married. Okay. That makes sense. 
<laughs> yeah, they. I mean, they, it came close enough to where you thought it was going to happen, but it but it pulled back at the last minute because, like you said, it didn't need to be in the story that way. It didn't help the story by that being in there. Yeah. Um, I thought that the older actor who played, you know, Senator Carmichael did a good job with what he was given. I mean, he wasn't in the movie a whole lot, but I mean, as the changeling, you know, he, you know, conveyed the right, you know, sort of like, you know, uh, being upset and disturbed by the fact that, you know, well, if you realize that your whole life was a lie, I mean, he did a good job of conveying that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, what would you think about the, you know, acting in the movie? Uh, like I said, I thought everyone involved like really did a great job minus, like I said, that cop that was in it for like maybe 10 minutes tops, if even that, (laughs) which is fine. I mean, he wasn't horrible or anything, but like you got George C. Scott by himself, just pulling the emotions out of everything he can relating to, you got the tragedy at the beginning that was merely two to three minutes long, you know, that kind of draws where his emotions are coming from. Um, you got the uh, you get to see kind of his personality a little bit at the college when he's te- when he's teaching that uh, composing class or whatnot. He's got and like then, a little bit of humor. And whenever he's hobnobbing with uh, some of his uh, you know college elite friends that are like at, you know Senator Carmichael's like get together, you kind of see some of his uh, outside interaction. You know when he's not you know cooped up in the house by himself, so that helps too. Yeah, so um, you know, and he carried majority of the film. Then of course you got his wife, like I said, who was just a really great. I mean, obviously great companion in life, but also a great companion in the film where she's just kind of helping him get shit done. The Karen. Was hilarious. The senator, when we kind of get to his story, he doesn't know what's going on, but he seems suspicious. Like, for at first, I thought that the senator was the actual dad, just super old. It was 50 years later, but I don't know how old he was when he killed his son. He could have been in his 20s or 30s, and in that case, he would have been like 80-ish, you know? He could have still technically been alive. Yeah. Which I is, mean, it, it went outside. I, I kind of thought that too. I mean, whenever I first saw it, I was just like, I think this is the dad. Like, what? I mean, what is is he going to have to? But, you know, and then you find out that he was actually the poor orphan that was yeah. like, thrown into all of that. Which I'm sorry, but the actor looked older than 58 because that's how old this kid would have oh, been. Oh, oh, he was. He was in his 80s, I think, at the time this movie was filmed. Uh, but the only thing that sold that was the fact that. <clears throat> You know, George C. Scott was very, you know, uh, old for the movie, too. And, you know, it it helped having Senator Carmichael be older than him just because it kind of sold the time difference just a little bit, you know, that I way. Yes. So, yeah, I mean. But, but, but I agree with you. Like, the the time frame of how, when it happened, it, it's kind of like, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, Putting two and two together. I don't know. I think overall, everybody really added greatness to this movie because, again, you don't have any ghostly visuals, really. Yeah, you see the kid underwater, but it's a regular kid underwater. It's not a ghostly looking kid. Oh yeah, they don't they don't change his appearance at all. Yeah, like, so there's none of that. And you have very very little visual effects. We're like, yes, you see the wheelchair moving. I think the noises and the music was more of what kind of drew everything else in together as well. 
And I think that's what a lot of people, like whenever they cite this movie, that's what they, they always bring about is the fact that it works so much with like just basic stuff like that and, you know, and gets the point across. Whereas you've got some of these high budget movies, you know, that have like literally a black cat jumping at you, you know, every two seconds and you walk out of the movie. <laughs> and you, which I loved on Community, that their, you know, zombie episode. They It's like, you know, they're in the basement and the cat keeps jumping out and Jeff is like, who's throwing that cat? You know, like, <laughs> Um, but like, I mean, it, you know, you walk out of some of those movies now and I mean, other than the initial jump of having something like, you know, just, you know, the loud sound and all that, you walk out of the movie and you're like, uh, I was bored, you know, like yeah. that's, that's the feeling you get walking out of them. And, and it goes back to what we said by Del Toro, like the best way to build up horror and something is more about the context of the situation. And I mean, like, that's what they did, like putting George C. Scott by himself in this huge, which that's another thing. This is kind of a gothic romance of its own, because you think about it, if the gothic romance is like, you know, uh, you know, you have the spirit, you kind of have a little bit of the repressed love. I mean, him and the, there is there is something between him and the realtor and it yeah. doesn't get expressed. So well, that's a real gothic romance because they don't actually act on it well um, you also have the the, the feeling he lost his love his wife so you have that yeah and um and then you also had the fact that he's in this huge mansion which yes. is the large structure we talked swallowing about swallowing him up swallows the person up and there's a lot of archways in the house i mean so it, it kind of ties in that way too i wonder if they intended that though obviously guillermo del toro does but very interesting i don't think I don't think they intended it, but like they, they worked the gothic narrative or the gothic romance into it without meaning to. And I think that's just, but the story itself worked it in there because the guy rented a mansion. So it, you know, it kind of, you know, all worked out that way. Yeah. Which is so, it was, I don't know. Like again, all this had to happen to make the story work, but what the fuck dude? (laughs) Um, they did comment though that the guy originally, you know, rented the house because the music room and the, you know, the the big rooms offered a better acoustic sound that he could practice his music better at, and that makes sense in the context of the fact that even in the movie with George C. Scott, like his character would be, you know, he was all about the sound. Like he would sit there and play it and record it, and you know, play it back and. And, and one thing I got to throw out there, it's kind of, it's, it's well done and it's really creepy when he realizes that the music he's been making inside the house is that music box. Yeah. Music. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that's, that, that's I mean, a good tie in. It was. And you know what? Also, I liked how that, that music box, I mean, it was almost like uh, the Duffer Brothers where you see something, but it plays in a little bit later and it does, you know? Um, they did that several times in this movie, the rubber box. All at the beginning, like I said, the music box. I mean, you know, the uh, of course toward the end of the movie, that that little uh, medallion or whatever that the you know the Saint Christopher's or whatever it is. It, I mean, you know that the, the orphan, the original orphan, had that he finds in the body, and then you know that the changeling has Senator Carmichael. Yeah, like that all figures in because that that's actually how the ghost is. Able, and I love that part of it too. That it doesn't like the the movie doesn't destroy its own interior logic because even though the kid's only affecting the mansion when that medallion that belonged to the kid which has part of its his essence literally on it from where it was on you know next to his dead body is put next to the one that Carmichael has inside of his you know inside of his like senatorial suite or whatever he's got his office that's when the ghost is able to get its revenge on Carmichael yeah. It's only whenever the two of them are brought together. Which, I mean, I felt that that was unjustified. 
because the guy playing Joseph Carmichael, he didn't know. And he actually, and he, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the ghost, uh, and that's another reason why this is a gothic romance. The ghost is a bad guy in this sense because that the changeling didn't deserve what happened to him. He didn't know that. I mean, he wasn't complicit in any of that. He didn't even know that his father swapped him out. Because you can tell whenever he, whenever uh, George C. Scott reveals what happens to him in a very matter-of-fact, direct way, which is what George C. Scott was known for, like when he leaves, that guy is shaking to his core. I mean, like that guy comes in, he's like, can I help you, Senator? And he's like, you know, he's shaking literally and figuratively, and he's just like, no, get out. Like, you know, he's dealing with the fact that, like, I, you know, this terrible thing happened. And you no, know, and and he had no control over it, but it, he was complicit in it, yeah. whether he wanted to be or not. Yeah, I don't know. I was just like, okay, like that's why I was like, it would have made more sense if it was the dad, because the dad still could have been older than George C. Scott's character. Yes, you know, yeah, he could have. And then it would have made um, more sense that the ghost attacked, because it's like you're the one who killed me, but the kid didn't know. So I don't know. It is what it is. It happened how it's happened. I do but, like how the ghost got real violent after, like after you you thought that good was happening, like they got the. <laughs> You know, it was almost like Samara. You got the the bones, so you're going to put them at rest, you know. Everything's going to get better. Just kidding. Surprise, motherfucker. It's like I'm going to kill the realtor lady, or I'm going to try to, like, knock her over uh, some railing or whatever. Um, like when, or, and I actually know it tried to run her down with a wheelchair. Yeah. And then whenever George C. Scott said, you know, told her to get out and he would take care of it, the whole place was on fire at that point. And yeah. as he was trying to make his way up there, it was so forceful that it nearly, uh, it caused him to fall off the banister, which, you know, was a sad callback to the orphanage in a yeah. sad way. But, um, but like, I mean, so it was physically attacking all of them. And at the same time, all that was happening, it was killing uh, Senator Carmichael in his mind or giving him a heart attack or an aneurysm yeah. or whatever happened to him. Uh, you know, and it, so all that stuff. And I, and I, I love how that all played together, but yeah, it was very violent. Like, I mean, this, this ghost kid was a bad ghost. Yeah. He, he had some time to fester, you know, <laughs> hey, just like in supernatural, the longer you let them stay, the worse it's going to get. So you want to get them to where they need to go and fast. That's a good point. Maybe that's why Santi was a better ghost because he hadn't been a ghost that long yeah. before Carlos showed up. I mean, he still had his humanity about him. He hadn't lost it yet. Yeah. Um. So, do you want to go on in the trivia? I mean, like, I, I mean, we'll get into the review, but like, I mean, I feel like we've kind of discussed the movie, as it were. Yeah. Let's get into some trivia. So, Martin Scorsese. Uh, or Scorsese, as some people say, uh, list this as one of his 11 scariest films of all time. In uh, a featurette on the DVD release of the 1996 horror film Scream, actress Neve Campbell named The Changeling as the scariest film she had seen. Okay, come on, guys. <laughs> well, I mean, some people are scared of Doctor Strange too, so I mean, you know. Okay, they're, they're, okay. Uh, the at least they're quoting actual horror movie here by saying that the changeling because it is a it's a good horror film okay. even if it's, I don't believe it's the scariest either but I'll give them that. Uh, uh, Medak reports feeling the need to direct the movie immediately after finishing the script or finishing reading the script. He said the script itself conveyed the fear that he actually I mean and that's pretty good implication that he's going to have a good movie. He said when he read the script he was actually frightened by what he read just thinking about it like in terms of just you know like mentally and you know that always you know that's a good setup to make a, a movie later on because you've already got the built-in like structure to, that you need 
Um, and then, of course, I said, like, like, like I said earlier, he, his own belief in the supernatural drew him to the movie. Yes. Uh, this was one of the first films to show automatic writing. Uh, it was later featured in films like The Others, which we may or may not talk about if we have the time. But uh, so the in the movie The Others, whenever they show the scene with automatic writing, they stole it from this movie. And I'm not saying they stole it in the sense that, you know, they literally, the people who made the movie confessed that they saw the changeling and said they wanted that in the movie. So wow. it did influence that. Rip off. <laughs> um. This plot is clearly the basis for Ringu. Uh, we've already discussed that, but I mean, it is. Um, I, I don't know if they, they ever admitted that in real life. I mean, the author, but come on. It's it's there. Yeah. Um, the opening scenes in New York were shot first. Uh, it was set in Seattle because Vancouver offered a tax break. Wow. And they could, and they could do establishing shots in Seattle but then they did the bulk of their filming, or 80% of it, in Vancouver, which is enough to get their tax break there. That's and, so um, fucking funny. I mean, it makes sense <laughs> on a business perspective, but it's like, well, we got a tax break if you film here. <laughs> um, and it helped offset the budget. Uh, okay. The two cities were close enough in appearance for one to substitute for the other. Uh, the exterior of the house was completely fabricated. Wow. Uh, they, they, they built that over an existing modern home, or at least for that time period, nineteen eighties, uh, uh, in Vancouver. That was had the surrounding landscape that they, they wanted, so it had the yard and everything that looked right. They just the, the house itself was way too modern looking, so they built like the actual mansion itself, the way it looked on the outside of it. It's all I mean, smoke and mirrors. It's it's almost like if you ever saw uh, Blazing Saddles and how they built that town where it was literally just like one board that was painted to look like an entire building. That's kind of what they did. Yeah. But, I mean, the we've seen that. that. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> the fire that took over the house at the end of the film was very real, and oh. it got out of control. Oh, shit. Uh, they were lucky that no one was hurt, but they did not anticipate the inferno that they were that they started whenever they, they first set it on fire. Holy shit. And they, they admitted this, too. They were, they were like, I mean, you could tell they were still sweating bullets even this many years later, just looking at what, you know, how it went about. Was this like uh, a curse doors, of the film by any chance? What's that? Was this like some sort of curse of the film? Like, could that be? Uh, they didn't say that. They just, they they didn't recognize when they set that blaze that it was going to go as fast as it did. And they, they were, they they were, they had people standing by to kind of help them reel it in or they thought, but then whenever it started, they're like, no, that's outside our scope. And oh, so shit. they, uh, and I think that it started, it, it came about so quick that they really didn't even have time for the fire department to, to make its way there in order to kind of touch with it. So. Good that nobody got hurt, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, the funny thing is the doors to the fake exterior were very real, though. They, they were actually real. The doors to the house that you keep seeing George C. Scott open. Yeah. And they were worth a lot of money. Well, they, they were, were fucking antiques. gorgeous. They were, on, they were antiques on loan from England. So, they, <laughs> um, so when the house caught fire... Uh, the set designer had to actually risk oh, his shit. own body to rescue them before the fire got to him. Oh my god! I wonder if he got hurt at all. They they said nobody got hurt. So, okay. but he they said it came close. Like he was literally like padding flames away as he was yanking them off the hinges. <laughs> the they, the, the doors, get the doors. <laughs> <laughs> Hold the door. Hold the door. Hold the door. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> 
Uh, the property used for the mansion exteriors was redeveloped after principal photography and has since been subdivided into the multiple lots with homes. Only the street lamp and the fire hydrant seen across the street when George uh, or, you know, or when John or George C. Scott first views the property remain as they do during the filming. So it's, it's drastically different now than it used to be. Yeah. Um, the act, actors, uh, this goes back to what we were saying earlier, actors Trish Van Devere and George C. Scott were married publicly for this picture. Uh, it was stated that they are, uh, a publicity for this picture stated that they had made seven films together in their, and in, in their eight years of marriage, Damn. this being their eighth. I mean, so, that's uh, it, the hardest part of actors being married is always being separated from each other. And obviously they were not separated from each other. Not often anyways, because they were making films <laughs> together. So it makes sense. Yeah. And th- this was the eighth movie they made together. So wow. that, that's, that's, that's a good stretch. I mean, that actually beats, I think Rob Zombie and Sherry, if people want to complain about that. Yeah. Um, the producer of this film states, however, that just because uh, that that they got they they were actually happy and then got lucky in a sense. I mean, not say anything bad about Devere, but uh, you know, whenever she was initially brought up as being like a package deal with George C. Scott, uh, you know, he said that he was willing to step in and say something if her quality of her acting wasn't up to what they needed for the film. But it, you know, they they felt like she did it was a great addition to the movie, so it didn't end up being a matter anyway. Yeah, he she was did. Willing to, she didn't have <laughs> one of those. I'm writing the coattails of this man vibe at all. No, um, she was right there with him as far as like you know, and maybe that's why they. Maybe that's why they had such a good relationship because they were both good at their job and what they did. And like, they didn't have, you know, they didn't have to worry about any, it wasn't nepotism. I mean, I feel like that's the way Flanagan is with, with Kate. Like, I mean, I feel like the two of them know, like he's a director, you know, he knows his craft. She knows the acting part and like they work well together because they, they know how to work within that frame. And I, I don't know with, with Rob, I can see the point there a little bit because like some of the movies, like he brings Sherry in on, he puts her in a prominent role and she doesn't necessarily need to be there for that role. Like, yeah. it you know, like it works like in Lords of Salem sometimes, but like she's and like the baby character and, you know, like the house of a thousand corpses and devil's reject. But those are not, those are kind of like, I mean, Lords of Salem is the one movie where I can point to just, you know, on tangent about her, that she actually shows like some acting chops in the sense that she's not playing a very out there character. So like she's, she's actually acting naturally within that, but she's also playing kind of like a, she's playing kind of like a DJ character in that, like a radio DJ. And I kind of feel like all those years that she worked with Rob, like that's something she might've picked up as far as like, you know, like a way to interpret that, you know, like naturally anyways. Yeah. You know, that's kind of, you know, being in his sphere of influence, she would have got that. But, like, that's what some people have worried about her as Lily and the Munsters because, like, is she just going to do, like, a like an imitation of the original actress? You know, is that, yeah. is that how she's going to go about it? Sherry Moon has her own set of skills, um, and, and she can build upon those. But I think she thinks she has a wide range, and I'm afraid that that's not going to go as well. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't think she does have a wide range. I mean, she's a beautiful woman, and she's a great, you know, she's great at modeling. I mean, obviously, that's what her career was, but I don't necessarily think that that's not a skill set that is one-to-one by any means. I mean, you know. Yeah, and it's okay to have a small set of skills and to build on that. You don't have to be good at everything, you know? 
Yeah, and I mean, there's nothing wrong with Rob throwing her in the movie. I mean, obviously, it's his wife, and he loves her, and he wants her, you know, just like we were talking about George C. Scott and DeVere. Like, they want to be together on their projects. That's fine, but, like, maybe Rob don't, like, make her the focus of the movie. Yeah. You know? I mean, there's nothing wrong with having her be, like, a, a, you know, a side character that, that comes in there at some point. Um, it's like the Halloween movies. I don't feel like she was a good mom to Michael Myers in those movies. That he <laughs> did like, but whatever. You're you too know. hot. We'll, we'll get into that debate when we do the slasher seasons. Yeah. Um, uh, Medak said that he had initially he was initially intimidated by the stories of actor George C. Scott because he was notorious. A lot of people claimed in Hollywood that he was difficult to work with. But the only trouble that they had with George C. Scott on the set, because they said he was a pleasant guy to work with, and he actually gave them a lot of insight into how, you know, how the character needed to be and all that, because he was a veteran actor. But they said the only problem he had was that <laughs> he was known to uh, play like his own like solo chess game in his trailer. <laughs> and uh, one of the days, the production managers accidentally or they moved his trailer because they needed to like do something, and they knocked over his chessboard <gasps> and. That, kind of pissed him off a little bit well boo frickety who dude <laughs> uh but he, he they, they they didn't say that he like took it you know like real mean or anything but that was the one thing that they had that they noticed that he had a little bit of an issue with in the oh filming my God. um he did learn how to play we talked about you know the you know uh joseph quinn and you know playing master of puppets well george c scott did actually learn how to play the music uh, of the piece of classical music that he plays on the piano for the college students. That's actually him playing that. Uh, um, he too played master of puppets in the behind the scenes. And I was kidding <laughs> on uh, piano, yeah, he, on piano before it was ever released. George C. Scott was the first person to actually play master of puppets. Which means <laughs> Lars owes him some royalties. Yes. <laughs> uh, I think that's neat though, that, that he was able to do that. I yeah. Mean, you know, Cause I, I I didn't notice when he was playing the pianos. It, I mean, they didn't cut away, so I was like, yeah. he's actually playing that. So. I was wondering. I was like, I'm not good enough to know whether or not they're playing the right keys or whatnot. So, uh, Screenwriters Diana Maddox and William Gray spent around six months doing research for the picture, which included copious newspaper articles on parapsychological encounters, uh, even seven hundred uh, over 700 books and almost 2,000 case histories they poured over for this movie to kind of get like the... The, the paranormal, like realistic paranormal stuff that they got in the movie. So that's, that's good on them. I wouldn't have spent that much time, but Hey, yeah. All right. Uh, it was, it, it was filmed from uh, December 4th, 1978 until fe- February 25th, 1979, but was not released until March of 80. So it was technically wow. filmed, in, filmed in the late seventies, but didn't come out till 1980. Damn. That's a long ass turnaround. That's normal for back then though. Yeah, uh, this is the first on-screen appearance of actor Joshua Jackson, who is a little baby, several Aww. months old, in one of the scenes because his mom was a production assistant. Oh, just a little baby. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, although Rick Wilkins is the credited film composer, the music box composition is actually written by Howard Blake. The unabridged composition is featured in his life cycle collection of 24 piano works and 24 keys. So they did get for the one scene with the piano uh, music, they, they got in uh, uh, Howard Blake. Um, the drowning of Joseph in the bathtub was shot after principal shooting had wrapped. Uh, they actually went back and filmed that scene and added it to the movie later. 
And there's a goof in this movie and the scene where the ball drops down the stairs with Claire freezing in fright just prior, uh, she and uh, John have had a spat and when she shouts, stop it, George, which is funny because she was yeah. calling her husband by his real name and not the character's name. That's but so I guess if you've lived with somebody long enough, yeah, you're going to, you're stop it. George is like, okay. <laughs> and I got to give her credit for something. Cause I just realized this, there is a scene in the movie toward the end of it, right before the shit goes down where he's in the, he's in the room. I, I think it's not the piano room, but I think it's the room where the seance was done. Yeah. And she's standing at the base of the stairs looking up, and the look on her face is so, I mean, she sells it. So I was scared oh, yeah. just seeing her face. I was like, she could see I'm the like, ghost. What? The ghost is right there. I was like, what the fuck is she seeing? Because she, I mean, that's how good she was. So, I mean, they could, I mean, she, like we said, she was a good actress. I mean, yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, a remake has been in development by Cornerstone Films since 2018, but as of yet, no release date. So I don't know how I feel about that. You know, a lot of modern remakes go the opposite route. They they sacrifice the the atmosphere and the story for cheap yeah. scares. So they're gonna they, there's probably gonna be a lot more visuals in it, and I don't know that that would take away. And if they do have that, they better be fucking good. Yeah, they're they're gonna have to have. Uh, I mean, their own version of the Rictus grin, and even then, I don't know. I, I don't know if I want that, but we'll see whenever it happens. Yeah, the fact that you didn't see anything in this film was just a whole different experience for me. <laughs> it's 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 well it's a good compliment i mean it's a good companion piece to the devil's backbone because you get the ghost all the time in that movie yeah for good reason because he wants you to get used to the ghost and in this movie you never see the ghost so yeah uh, it's uh it's it's kind of interesting it's a nice um, sister story no just kidding <laughs> <laughs> it's feminine versus no yeah. um so what do you think on your ratings of this? Because I know what I like or what my ratings are, but you can tell me yours. Okay, are we just rating the changeling? Are we going to start with the devil's backbone? Uh, devil's backbone first. Devil's backbone. I'm going to get that one a four out of five. Um, I mean, it was, I don't know. It, I, I, it You know, 4.5 out of five. There we go. It was almost, it was okay. almost perfect. It was scary. Um I didn't know that Guillermo del Toro didn't want you afraid of the ghost because I was at first, you know, but you kind of always are until you know what's going on, you know. he did want you to be, he wants you to be like Carlos. He wants you to be scared at first because you would be if you were Carlos, but then as you got to know Santi, then you you kind of warmed up to him a little bit because he's not, he's not an evil ghost. Yeah, so I don't know. Um, I, I really, the scenery was good. The ghost wasn't cheaply done. Uh, the colors were amazing. In fact, the fact that they used different colors at different times really fucking worked with the film. And this is how those Japanese blue light films should have been filmed. It's like, okay, a little bit goes a long way. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's. I mean, I get what Noah was saying on the ring where it's got that sickly uh, blue-green color, but it's it's way overused it's yeah. way oh i mean you don't get any like you got to have a breather from it in order i mean for it to have the punch that it does it because if you're just stuck in it the whole movie then it, it kind of you get numb to it you know well and the scenes are just so much more memorable i mean when you were talking about the scene you said that well this was my favorite scene it wasn't one i listed as my favorite but it was uh the ghost standing in the hallway or the archway and he got the red and the and the oranges behind him and everything i knew what you were talking about right away you hadn't even said the reds yet you're like oh he's standing in this and i'm like oh yeah it had these colors in it i know what you're talking about it just they stand out 
And, and that is the part that stands out. I mean, I, I like the story in it, obviously. I mean, it's got that adventure story we talked about, but it's the art direction. This movie, I you got to give credit to Guillermo del Toro. Like, I mean, the guy knows. I mean, he's an artist at heart. I mean, he, his sketchbook is famous for a reason. He draws this stuff before he ever i mean before he ever makes in the storyboards i mean it looks like a it looks like a almost a painting at times yeah uh and and like his notes so i mean you can tell the guy's artistic and and that's what he brings to his movies and you gotta appreciate it if you if you care about that at all yeah um so to me it's a five out of five i mean i i I've, i thought going back and rewatching it that it would lose something for me but no just seeing the way he designed the ghost the the colors that he used and everything else i mean i it's a movie i can go back and rewatch. Like, yeah I, I mean as much as pan's labyrinth and i feel like that's a great film too for like its creativity because those designs of that like creature that's got like the the eyeballs and it's like hands or whatever, you know, like, yeah. I mean, that, there's some freaky shit in that movie, but like, I mean, he, he scales it back in this one and it still works. Yeah. It's so funny because I really do like Guillermo del Toro movies, but they're usually one and done's for me. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I could see myself rewatching, you know, um, the devil's backbone again. I just pan, not pan's labyrinth, uh, orphanage for sure. Watch again. <laughs> 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 all right what's your thoughts on the changeling changeling i am also going to give this one a four and a half out of five because everything about this movie was amazing in terms of you know filming and music and the actors and the fact that they could make a scary movie like i said without visuals but i am taking half a point away because i felt like it was it was too long <laughs> like i felt like it carried on quite a bit and that's that's what I mean. I would have gave the Ring American version a three out of five. If it hadn't been for the length that I felt in that movie, so yeah. I, I can't disagree with you on that one. Um, it's another five out of five for me. There's a reason I paired these together because I, I knew I liked both of them. But going back and rewatching them, I'm like, damn! Like one's got the acting, you know, in spades, and that's the Changeling. They both have good stories, but you know, but the, it's just the. I mean, you know, it's like the the direction in the Changeling works, like you said. Like they they do so much with so little in that movie. Like you don't. Like, they still build the horror element up, but you don't have, like, I mean, you literally have a guy in a, in a large house, and, you know, it's like that, you know, okay, that doesn't sound that scary, but they make it scary, you know? Yeah. They, they, they do a good job with it. Um, no, these were two good films, and I think back-to-back -back they worked really well together. Yeah, they, they, I wanted to group them together for theme. I thought about doing them separately, but I'm like, no, I mean, they really, I mean, once I started watching The Changeling, I'm like, I think both of them together would be good as comparisons because they both do, like, one is more about the visual aspects and more is about the sound aspects, and they both, like, you know, they both have the, the similar thing of, like, a ghost child, but, like, you know, all the stuff we discussed as far as the comparisons and the, you know, you know like, and that, and that sort of thing between the two of them, I, I think they work together that way. Well, we know La Llorona is always constantly searching the continents for her children. And uh, clearly I found one in Japan, but the other one, uh, you know, definitely not the Mexican one. He was too good. Um, so <laughs> was going to have to be the one in the changeling. He seemed like a little hellion that uh, I was like, oh, I, I think that one's mine. But when I'm in the grocery store and he's throwing grocery, you know, uh, cereal boxes around, I'm like, whose kid is that? 
Yeah, he's he's the one that's like breaking the the glass and the the frozen aisle case, and you're like, okay, I don't know who that kid is, yeah. but you know, I'm gonna I, go help him me. find his mama. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm gonna get him out of here for you, okay? <laughs> oh my god! So what do we have up next? Next up, because we want to bring Donnie G back in, and there's no perfect, <laughs> there, there's no, no better situation than what I got planned next. We're going to be reviewing uh, the Frighteners from Peter Jackson because we did discuss in the news Peter Jackson had some help with Damien Eccles, so there's a link there. But uh, and the entity and what the two of them have in common is there's a lot of ghost fucking going on. Like <laughs> one's in one is considered. Um, I guess you know in the frighteners it's consensual because okay. the hanging judge does get the 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 Egyptian ghost to agree to it. Maybe <laughs> you don't really see her side of it, so I can't really say that for sure. Um, the entity though, that's that's a one sided situation. So, we'll but see was how it? Because there's definitely a true story to behind the entity. So I will I will be providing <laughs> those details because I've researched the entity. Because only because it's one of those. Well, it doesn't say inspired by a true story. I believe this one's based on a true story. It's it's like the changeling. It's really. I mean, there is a real story that it's that's that's kind of written from. So it'd be interesting to hear that. And I'll let you take that research because I want to I want to hear that fresh and see how that story played out. Yeah. And then now, as for the entity, did we? previously talk about this because I found it so funny that I was messaging you just today and when I was like hey are we gonna review this film and you're like funny you mention I don't remember <laughs> if we talked about it previously uh I don't think we did that's and I, so and, funny but I was like I got it as because it was, you know, like it's one of the highest rated, you know, like one of the higher rated movies, like recently ghost movies. I got it in, you know, on like a Blu-ray, like special edition, all that. And I, and I thought about it and I'm like, I want to cover this at some point. And then somebody at work brought it up. And I'm like, okay, it's, it's going to be next because we need to, we need to cover this. And since the topic of, you know, that we had this week didn't really lend itself to, you know, Donnie G being involved. I'm like, okay, this is, he, he can be in on this one. Cause that's yeah, nothing like some good old fashioned ghost fucking to <laughs> download the wrong movie and give us a review. Yeah. And hopefully, I mean, it's a little bit more consensual in the movie that he's giving us, but I don't know. I mean, if it's a uh, power play BDSM ghost fucking, then Hey, I mean, whatever he brings up, that's, that's, he's the expert. He can tell us on that one. And if it's a woman ghost, it's automatically, you know, consensual because if she's the oh, one yeah. doing the asking uh, there's no uh, way the guy's like, gonna be like no i feel like that's how it's going to be although we did kind of technically cover the entity in a roundabout way when we covered scary movie yes. two because they directly referenced the ghost fucking it in that movie, absolutely so. does so th there was definitely hints of that in there but we're gonna give you the real scoop on that so stay tuned <laughs> Uh, so as far as plugs, I mean, you know, I, I guess Blue Collar BS, they're back up and running again, from what I understand. Oh, yeah. Blue Collar BS is still going every Friday. I mean, sometimes Fridays we miss because, you know, we like to, Hubs and I like to go visit places every now and then. So that's still going on. Hot Mess Express, you get us when you get us. That's about it. Uh, but as for <laughs> us on uh, Death Holler, man, I, I never expected to be on Apple charts. And granted, it's in, in, it's in other countries, but the fact that we are on charts at all is impressive. And we don't really, we put ourselves out there on Instagram and Facebook. So if you want to follow us, we are on Facebook. Just search for Death Holler. Uh, same thing on Instagram, Death Holler. Uh, look for us, follow us. We like to post funny memes. We like to 
post what's up and coming, things like that. But as for that, we really, we haven't paid for any advertisements. We haven't put ourselves out there. So the fact that people are finding us, um, who are you and how did you find us? <laughs> that would be nice to, to hear. I mean, it's, yeah. it's you know, I, I, I'm like you. I mean, I'm fascinated by it. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's always nice to, to hear that sort of thing. I mean, I would like to be able to advertise more, but I mean, neither one of us really has the time or the budget right now to, to even attempt that. Cause I mean, this is a passion project. If anybody didn't know, I mean, we're not making any money on this. In fact, I still owe you money for the RSS feed <laughs> that I'll be sending you shortly. So yeah, we go have on stuff so we can afford things. So, <laughs> but we do it for fun and it really is a passion project. So, you know, we're going on, this is our second year of doing it we're going to be going into our third year after october so and the slashing begins the sla- and october. we have so much planned we have so many seasons planned it's so funny we have planned further ahead than we even know we're going to be on this earth so <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i don't know what we're going to do after slashing season but i mean there's witches you know that we haven't covered there's uh general demonic stuff I zombies mean, you know, yeah, the zombies, of course. I mean, that needs to be, I don't know, almost feel like that needs to be after slashers, but we'll see. I mean, that, that's a big one. I mean, it's... We got to get it know, over with big... because I can only, like, after <laughs> after slasher season, slasher season's going to be fun for both of us. Ghost season, you've managed to make it through pretty good, and I'm like, hee ha this is fun. But zombie season, I'm going to have a really hard time. <laughs> so we got we got to rip off the Band-Aid. We got to get it over with because La Arena does not do zombies very well. Zombies are my favorite yeah. movie genre. <laughs> they they are. Uh, I mean, I've got literally beside of me here, I've got a whole shelf of books about zombies, uh, like the, the production behind zombie movies. So, oh, I yeah. Mean, it's, you know. Well, it's so funny because I have graphic novels. Like I have, obviously, I have a lot of The Walking Dead. Um, we read World War Z. Um, I've had the, the zomb- what is it, the Zombie Survival Guide by yep. Max Brooks. Yep. I, I read that a long yep. time. I love that book. That even inspired uh, me to buy my machete. I have two machetes. That's how I'm yeah, going to survive. Yeah, well, that that's not a bad tool. But if you remember reading that, there's a Tibetan uh, blade that's actually the best. If you read the book, that's that's what they suggest. Okay. I don't know how you get that blade. I have to work saying. with what I got, okay? <laughs> like, all I remember is that the machetes require very little maintenance. They're very lightweight. They get the job done. So that's why I have two of them. Well, you know, I I probably should get more. The kids might need them to defend themselves too, you know. But did you also know on that tangent that Max Brooks has a retractable staircase in his mansion? I did not know that. Because he's like me. He thinks that zombies are a possibility. And if he's going to have, unless it's like those World War Z zombies, you know, that can just pile up in these huge masses to get to where they're going. Um, he has a retractable staircase so that they can't get up to the second floor. <laughs> and I'm like, you sir, are a genius. And I, I gotta bring this up here is one of my favorite, like, uh, I gotta get it in a shot here. Uh, characters from the goon comics or whatever which is uh like a guy in tennessee he he basically made like a horror comic or whatever that has like oh 1930s uh, crime noir characters in it or whatever but like um it's pretty well done it's a zombie story so i, I like that graphic or you know series of comics too quite a bit yeah so in 2024 look out for or well i guess the end of 2023 technically 
Yeah, October of 2023. I yeah. guess the zombies are attacking at that point. That's when the zombies will attack. But we will be getting, uh, October is up and coming. We're going to be getting into the slasher season, so that'll be fun. And, uh, yeah, we, we've got lots planned, so please join us. Get your friends to join. Listen to us. Uh, Frick, tell us on our, you know, make comments. Tell us what we could do better or, you know, if there's anything you like or dislike. We want to hear it, so... Yeah, if there's uh, any kind of like little things that you think that we could add to the show, I mean, we're all ears. I mean, you know, we, uh, the recent editions with the, uh, I think I downloaded the wrong movie. That was uh, Urena's idea, and I think that came out pretty, pretty good. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, from the people I know that are loving it so much. So that's pretty cool. We do, I am going to start posting short clips of our episodes um, coming up soon. That's something the Reverend and I talked about. And we have talked about doing a few very short solo things, but still as part of the Death Holler community. So we're not breaking up. (laughs) But, you know, sometimes the Reverend has some few things he wants to go and review right now. So we're going to be posting some things. I thought it would be exciting just to kind of have, you know, something in between when we do our episodes. So, Yeah, a little something to carry over. And, I mean, it's a little too much for the actual episodes or maybe doesn't, like, connect in but i mean they're you know they might be tangential or play off of them a little bit so yeah i think it'll be great and with that peace be with you and with your spirit